Welcome to the Naked Wellness Podcast. As a qualified nutritionist, I'm here to strip away the nonsense and get down to the bare essentials of nutrition and wellness. Join us as we debunk myths, chat with top-notch experts, and serve up practical tips that will leave you feeling empowered. Get ready to uncover the naked truth about living your healthiest life. Let's undress. Welcome to the Naked Wellness Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest with me. I have Erin Judge. Erin is a registered dietitian and nutritionist who specializes in helping women with IBS, SIBO, and other digestive disorders to really take back that control and feel confident again, which is absolutely incredible. And if you've been following along, you know that I've had my own history with digestive issues and how uncomfortable and debilitating it can actually be in your life. And I know that so many of the listeners experience that as well. So I'm so excited for our conversation today and welcome Erin to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm also looking forward to it. Yeah, amazing. Well, did you want to start off with telling us a little bit about yourself, your own journey, if you've been on one, what kind of got you into this area that you're now in? Yeah, so I was actually diagnosed with IBS as a kid um, in fourth grade, (laughs) around age 10. And that came after, you know, many, many years of some childhood trauma stuff that went on, as well as uh, Giardia, a Giardia infection. So I felt very much that post-infectious IBS case, lots of gut brain um, factors involved. And that led to a positive diagnosis within no guidance. So I was diagnosed, sent off into, you know, puberty and becoming a teenager and, you know, high school, then went to college and throughout all of that time struggled with chronic constipation that did, you know, get a little bit better. It wasn't as consistent every single day as I got a bit older, but it was still present in there. And I didn't really know what to do about it. So I never talked about it. I, you know, was really ashamed of it. I was really embarrassed by it. And then in college, I had more flares pop back up, was reminded that I had it from my medical practitioners at that time, because again, I just kind of learned to live with it and thought it was normal. Mm -hmm. And that's whenever I decided to become a dietitian for a completely different reason. Um, I wanted to work in nonprofit work, but I decided to become a dietitian. And in my classes, that was the first time someone actually explained what IBS was. Um, That was the first time I ever learned that diet could actually impact it, you know, which seems very common sense that of course what you eat can impact how you're pooping and what's going on. But I didn't know, I didn't have that education. No one told me that or explained it to me. And so in becoming a dietitian, I began to become obsessed with anything around the gut microbiome, anything surrounding IBS, constipation and and how diet plays a role and just started kind of treating myself. (laughs) Um, And so that was messy uh, because as we all know, you know, no one should have to treat themselves for anything, any condition Mm. that they go through. There's a lot of value in getting guidance from someone who knows what to look for and kind of knows how to use the science and then personalize it. I didn't have that, but thankfully, you know, five years later, I figured it out for myself. Um, and that led me to then specializing in IBS in my own practice. So I, I got out of nonprofit work and then decided to start a practice. And the only thing I cared about enough was IBS um, to spend all of my time on. So all that research paid off. And now here I am five years later from that. Um, and this is what I get to do every single day. Wow, what a journey. I just think it's crazy. Like, the journey that you have been on to being diagnosed not getting that guidance and if you weren't the type of person to then actually be like well this is really interesting and the fact that i can actually heal my body almost from this or or understand it in a way where i don't have to live with it impacting every single day if you weren't the type of person to then go and study diet dietetics and all of that sort of stuff and understand the research you very well could have gone your entire life just thinking that that was just how you actually had to live, which is just crazy that that's the way that it played out. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm definitely grateful that that happened and, you know, Mm. don't know why, you know, you can think about it from all of those different sides of, you know, maybe there was fate or maybe I was always interested somehow beneath the surface because of my own experience. I, I don't know, but yeah, I'm very grateful that I was able to, have that as part of my education mm. and then have mentors in my life because of the, the field of work that I decided to, to engage in. And, you know, I'd already started, you know, prior to even switching to dietetics, like engaging in not so healthy behaviors, like lots of mm. diet restriction. You know, I was in college, I was over exercising, you know, all these things were still playing a role as well. And I think becoming a dietitian 
made some of that worse at the start because you know a lot, you know, so you start doing everything. Um, and then it got a lot better because, you know, knowledge is power. And so I, the more I learned, the more I got experience, the more I really began to understand, you know, what this, the research means and how the body actually works. I think it allowed me to find a lot of freedom and a lot of spaces of my own health, which I never expected in becoming mm. a dietitian. And, and I, I'm very much grateful for, for sure. Oh, 100%. And then, but it also makes you think of how many people do go through their lives that also aren't interested in studying dietetics that do have these kind of complications or digestive issues as well that are unsure. And I know I had a similar sort of experience when I also was diagnosed with IBS. The doctors were literally like, this is what you have. Here's an app to download on your phone. Off you go. And I was like, what the hell? Like, I don't know where to go from here. And like, there was the FODMAP diet. Like there was, there was literally no guidance around it either. And obviously they don't specialize in a particular area. So it's, it's hard for them, but it does. It makes it so much more overwhelming, complicated, confusing. Like you just, you're left wondering and expecting that that's it for the rest of your life, basically, which can be pretty tough. So I think what you have gone on, like your own journey is just so motivating inspiring incredible and the fact that now you are using that as your power to just help so many other women is just absolutely incredible i know there might be some women sitting on the other side of this being like what actually is gut microbiome and i know that you mentioned in your own journey there were different factors that played into it the nutrition side but also the psychological side and the stress that was playing out so i'd love to know like what is the gut microbiome and how does it actually impact the digestion immune function overall health like mental health as well how does it all tie together yeah so the gut microbiome is the makeup of microbes that's where the microbiome and their genetic material um uh, in your body so each kind of i guess area of your body like you have a skin microbiome you have a mouth dental cavity microbiome. Um, you have a small bowel microbiome. You have a large bowel colonic microbiome. Um, we have microbes everywhere. And really only in the last, honestly, 10 years have we actually understood the role of these microbes in health. And that is still evolving. So what we do know is that the majority of your microbes do live in your large intestine and, and they're called the colonic microbiome. And that's what we typically are referring to when we say your gut microbiome. Mm-hmm. The small bowel microbiome is kind of growing and we're learning a bit more there too. But this is the makeup of microbes, including bacteria, but other microbes as well. We mostly understand bacteria. And we know that there are beneficial microbes and there are not so beneficial, which we call more pathogenic microbes. And so whenever we're thinking about what influences what microbes are present in your gut and then their benefits or possible harms, I guess, or not benefits. It's like some of them are just not doing anything and some of them are causing some, some harm and damage. Um, it really comes down to your environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we know that people in the U.S. have kind of a base level of what's even possible in terms of microbial diversity versus people in Africa, people in Australia, people, you know, in other parts of the world, like where you are in the world and how, um, you know, your ancestors have developed over time, like that impacts your microbiome, uh, your birthing, you know, and, and early childhood impacts your microbiome, uh, what you eat and especially what you ate as a child when that was forming the most that impacts it. And then medications and anything coming in, um, that's not even food. So drugs, alcohol, um, you know, smoking, wherever you want to put that, um, as well as medications, um, especially things like antibiotics that kill microbes Mm -hmm. can all impact your gut microbiome and who is present. Infections can also alter this and change this as well as treating those infections. Um, And so that's where your microbes are are the most influenced. Um, When it comes to how they impact then your health, we know that microbes, they directly play on the the gut-brain communication pathway, kind of like neurotransmitters. Like they do produce neurotransmitters. So they have these beneficial byproducts whenever they ferment fiber um, where they produce neurotransmitters. They also produce um, short-chain fatty acids and they produce um, gas as a, as a byproduct. Um, but even outside of that, they kind of function somewhat like neurotransmitters in that they're communicators. So they've been shown to even regulate mood. And again, this is poorly understood now. It's evolving, but they can regulate mood. Um, 
Um, they're also known to regulate uh, functions of the GI tract. So they can regulate gut motility. Um, they can regulate uh, even secretions and, and what's going on as part of the digestive process. Um, and they may even be able to regulate things like metabolism, how we're utilizing nutrients, blood sugar metabolism, and the role of mm. metabolic disease. Um, even looking at their role in cholesterol and heart disease, like they do play a role in communicating, which then leads to their role in regulation. Um, metabolism is likely a big factor of that because they are there, you know, in the gut and they do influence um, gut permeability as well and the immune system more from their interaction with immune cells and their defense line because they do house themselves in our gut. They help with defense. They also help with protecting beneficial microbes, protect a mucus layer in your gut, which is part of that defense as well. Pathogenic bacteria eat that mucus layer and they do not help. <laughs> they work against you. So those are some of the ways that uh, the microbes do play a role. There's a lot that's been developed over time, but we do know that they likely do impact every system in the body. Um, now, the specifics of how we test that, how we know for sure what's going mm. on and how to fully support it, I think is still not as well known but um, it has been evolving and continues to evolve in research. Wow, it's crazy how big of an impact it has on the body. And I feel like how much misinformation actually can get pushed out there about gut health and how it, it's almost like it goes through these phases of being a trend or a fad to be doing you know, gut health, whatever, but actually at the core of it, your gut health is a driving factor for so many other areas of your health and something that is so important to actually focus on. Absolutely. Yes. And you're right. I think, you know, that does get marketed probably more mm -hmm. simply than the research is showing. And I think it also gets marketed often without nuance and individualization and, and a lot of the other pieces of the puzzle, as well as the things to do for your gut health. That, that yeah. part is, you know, we know some things, but we don't know everything. And we also don't know how to truly personalize even diet or mm -hmm. personalize um, our recommendations because we can't actually test um, even in a commercial way, but even in research, they can't test right now everything uh, perfectly because we don't understand it all. So there is a little bit that's gone too far, a little ahead of the research, but it is very much true that your microbes do play a significant role in where, you know, again, 10 plus years ago, we used to think we needed to kill everything and mm. sterilize our, our bodies and our guts and not really look at that. Now we know that, you know, what we actually need to do is preserve beneficial microbes. We need to replace microbes if we can. And that is where research is going to evolve and health will be personalized microbially in the future um, because our microbes do likely play even more of a role, even in in some things more than our DNA and um, more than a lot of other factors in our bodies. And, you know, some of it we have control over and some of it we don't. Uh, and we saw that, you know, even in post COVID, um, like, uh, what do we call it? Long COVID, right? Where the post COVID uh, manifestations in bodies and how health is impacted. Gut, the gut microbiome has been shown to be a piece of that. Viral infections impact the balance of your gut microbiome. Again, killing anything, um, cancer, those who've gone through like cancer treatments, that impacts your gut microbiome. Getting a foodborne illness, it's the number one cause of IBS. It can impact you for the rest of your life. Um, when you can do everything right, you know, and that still can have an impact. Um, and we also know that the the most development of your gut microbiome is done in early childhood years. And there's a bit of that that Yes, you can improve day, you know, day to day to day to day, but when you take a hit or, you know, when your body isn't doing all those things perfectly every single day, it kind of bounces back to where it was when you were a child. And so there's some of that, that what was done when you were younger is with you kind of forever. Mm. And so there's a lot that is complicated about it that I don't think is always communicated in the fads and the trends and online, um, which leaves a lot of people feeling kind of lost and confused as well as disappointed, I think, with those things. Yeah, oh, for sure. I could not agree. I know that for me, with my gut health, like it first started when I got a parasite, that kind of threw everything out of whack. Then I was obviously on around like antibiotics after antibiotics, round after round of medication, which then impacted it. Then went through like a journey of disordered eating behaviors. So then that, you know, like it was just a whirlwind. And I think the other thing with gut health is it doesn't, like you can't heal it overnight either. Or you can't feel these dramatic improvements overnight. And if you have been putting your body through 
restrictive eating or disordered eating behaviors, things like that for years, or you've been going on and off diets for years, like it doesn't change overnight as soon as you decide, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. I now want to actually have a healthy functioning gut. And it, it, like it takes work, it takes dedication, it takes time. And like you said, like there might even be for some people that base of when you were a child and it's not about ever actually healing that. It's more about working how to manage and live with that, with the life that now you currently have. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. There's so much to mm. it. And you're right. It, if you have multiple layers, I always say, you know, it's like you're kind of digging a hole and you're mm. digging deeper and deeper. And some of it you're digging, some of it someone else is digging for you. But the further down you dig, like that's a lot you have to rebuild. And that takes so much time. And sometimes the body adapts, like with disordered eating, for instance, the body will adapt to that with like your metabolism and, and even the way your your gut moves. So the motility of your gut, which is impacting how things are going through, which impacts how you feel like that takes so much time for your gut to then relearn that that's not how it goes and that you know it can be safe you know functioning how it was meant to or stress is one of those like chronic stress impacts your gut motility it impacts secretions of the gut impacts the function of the gut and also likely impacts the gut microbiome and that balance as well a little less understood but you know if you're chronically stressed and if your stress is due to a health condition you have or again some of those layers you have to like give it time and lots of consistency to then see the results. And those results aren't always just the symptoms. And I think that's something that is a big misconception is that, oh, well, I can just improve the symptom overnight. So let's say I, I take a round of antibiotics and I feel good for two weeks. You know, that doesn't mean that things have healed or recovered or even optimal, because if you then don't feel good the next two weeks, you know, you don't need another round of antibiotics usually, right? It's like, that's where we need that um, progression, right? Um, and not always will your symptoms be the exact correlation to that. And we don't actually know fully what is that correlation. So it just, it gets very messy and complicated. And um, there's a lot of room for personalization there. And also, thankfully, there's a lot of research that keeps it developing that will hopefully make this a little bit more easy to understand target and track and test you know in the future mm, yes i love that and so i know that you mentioned earlier about the gut can impact your mood or there's a little bit of science that's starting to come out about that and you just also mentioned about stress and chronic stress can have such a large impact on the gut how does that kind of work because i know you also mentioned like things that you ingest really impact the microbiome how does that internal stress actually impact everything and i think in today's well that we're living in we're all living in like that super stress state as much as we shouldn't be with that go 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 type of life always working always hustling and do that in quotation marks because i mean great to work hard but not so great to almost like hustle so hard that you're ending burnt out or having chronic stress yeah, yeah absolutely so there's a few ways of, of how these things might play a role in your actual gut health and yes. deeper to like your microbiome levels as well as symptoms and gut function. Um, one of them is through the gut brain connection. So we know the gut and the brain are connected. It's the central nervous system connected to what's called the enteric nervous system, which is basically a smaller central nervous system located in your gut. That's why the gut's called the second brain and it functions independently of the central nervous system. So I like to say that they're kind of like Kardashians, you know, where it's like they sometimes are working great together, but sometimes they're like sabotaging one another and like over communicating, fighting, all of that. Like that's what happens with your gut and your brain. And that's where we see that connection with food and symptoms as well as, you know, stress, all these things. The exact mechanisms of the gut brain connection are not actually that well understood. We know that pain is pretty well understood. Um, and, and I'll talk about in a moment, the nervous system itself, but in terms of how even gut microbes fully like change mood, and we know that they do, we also know that changes in the brain can impact the gut microbiome. Like there's a lot of correlations there, but from what I understand, it's not fully, fully understood, but likely related to that connection and how the, the gut and the brain are trying to work together and just influencing one another. Um, the biggest thing to know is that there are correlations to those things. So if you're dealing with both, which most people are, where there is either a true mood disorder or just, you know, levels of anxiety, depression, chronic stress, as well as, um, you know, your gut is showing symptoms that there's probably some dysbiosis or an unideal makeup of your microbes present. We can focus on both. 
um, and a lot of treatments for disorders of, of the gut are related to the gut brain connection. Mm. Another way that this kind of plays a role is through the actual nervous system itself. So in with your nervous system, which is kind of like your control center of your body, all functions really are controlled by your nervous systems. Um, and there's a lot of branches to those, but you have your, um, part of your autonomic nervous system, you kind of have a, a light switch state that you, you'll be in at all times. You're either in the stress state, which is the sympathetic nervous system state, or you're in what's called the rest and digest state, which is that parasympathetic nervous system state. You're one or the other. So that's regulation. When you're in that stress state, your body is, we always say it's like you're being chased by a bear, but the goal is that we handle whatever stressor is in front of us. And so your body then shuts down unnecessary organs and functions to prioritize blood flow, muscle movement, brain function, you know, for your heart, all of that, your lungs for breath. Um, and so your body is actually in that state where it says, okay, there's a threat or perceived, you know, problem that we're overcoming. And so when we're in this state, the things that don't have to happen, they're not top priority are going to get down regulated, meaning kind of turned off. The digestive system is part of that. So what we see is we see slowed motility, which can be, you know, constipation for a lot of people, lead to bloating, um, the secretions of the digestive system that help you break down food, help you prevent things like bloating and poor digestion, um, bile enzymes, all of those things um, that gets turned down, gastric acid secretions, stomach acid secretions get turned down, that's involved in digestion, that can mess with hunger cues, fullness cues, kind of hormones that are related in, in that process, all of that gets turned down. In really strong states of stress, um, an initial response is emptying of the bowels, uh, which is why mm -hmm. some people will like poop or pee, like if they're uh, in a, like get in a car wreck or something where it's like an extreme stressor, but that can lead to issues with diarrhea versus constipation. Like we may see that show up. So for some, most people, you're not always strongly in a stress state. Like we're not typically being chased by bears or in a state where it's like, oh, we need to fight or flight, you know, yeah. but what we do typically see is that we're kind of always partially there or we're kind of tiptoeing back and forth all day long. And that could be because you have a chronic health condition that's putting stress on your body where your body is internally fighting something, but it can also be the stressors of our everyday life, poor sleep, um, overwork, um, not setting boundaries, not ever relaxing, like taking on too much. And again, not fully understood. How do we even do that research? Like, I think we need to see that more to understand what that really looks like. But whenever someone is under that level of stress, we do see that the, the functions of the GI tract are turned down. Now, how does that specifically influence the gut microbiome? Again, we don't fully know, but that's what I see the most often in terms of symptoms. And it's a thing that you can't really out-medicate or out-supplement. Like you have to implement regulation. We can't stay out of a stress state forever. Like it, it's important, but we do need to know how to regulate down to that rest and digest state, especially when we are truly wanting to digest food um, and, and support our gut. And then the last thing that can happen are secondary behaviors in reaction to stress. So you mentioned like disordered eating is it's a huge one, but like what you eat and how, what behaviors you have in place, what habits you have in your life can actually be impacted by your stress levels, right? Um, and that could be for some people skipping meals and under eating, which if your body's not well nourished, it's in that stress state, the gut function goes down, you know, those organs again are not priority, that can happen. For some people, it's like binge eating type behaviors where again, inconsistency with meal patterns. If you're overloading your gut with a lot of food all at once, it's not used to, like that can impact it. Um, for some people, it's, you know, alcoholism and, and drug use that impacts your gut. Um, there's a lot of pieces of that that can play a difference. Not sleeping. For some people, it's oversleeping and not ever moving their body. You know, it looks different for each person, but that can then lead to those like secondary behaviors impacts on your gut microbiome um, and then also how you're you're managing symptoms or dealing with symptoms and if you have a condition like ibs your gut is a little bit less resilient to all of those shifts and changes so not only can it impact you on that deep level of in terms of your gut health and how things are you know actually going on in your body but that can impact how you feel um, which can lead people even down further kind of self-sabotage cycles more stress because of their symptoms it, it just gets into again burying themselves deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Mm, I find it all so interesting. And 
I, I feel like you sometimes almost, you get your gut health to a, a certain point, especially if you've been on a history of healing it, right? And you're like, okay, this feels good. This feels comfortable. I can go through my day to day. My bowel movements are quite consistent and predictable, which is great. And then I know for me, like I moved from Australia to Bali a couple of months ago, totally different environment, totally different food, totally different structure to my days. And it's like, it's always like I did like a 180 and it's back to, you know, different bowel movements, different like phases of going through like bloating and just reworking out where, what foods to eat, how to get that, that rest and not be in that stress state. And it's just interesting how it always circles back, right? And you have to just be constantly aware of your lifestyle, the food that you are having, you know, what is, what is your body actually going through? And I think as you go through life as well, mentally, you can get a lot stronger with dealing with stress, but your body has these physical signs and symptoms of being like, Hey, like, can we just slow down for a second? Cause I'm actually not dealing with this. Okay. Even though you might mentally think that you're okay, which is just, yeah, yeah it's so interesting how it's all interconnected and how it actually then impacts your day-to-day life. Absolutely. And there's even new research showing in terms of travel, like your gut micro like biome changes where you are in the environment. Mm. And it's likely related to food and growing food, the food system, but also just the environment. There's microbes yeah. in the air around you. There are microbes, you know, on surfaces, like with your feet, your anything that you're engaging in, there are microbes there. And we want to be in harmony with those microbes. But for some people, it's almost like we have an ideal microbiome environment we should be a part of. And some people will travel and they feel amazing or that they move somewhere new and things go great. And some people, they don't. And there's likely more of an adaptation that needs to happen. But it's interesting. It's an area of research mm -hmm. that I find fascinating because it it really does kind of come back to like, well, can we change that or can we not? And then are there ways to proactively treat it's like do we treat you with a you know probiotic of the microbiome of that environment you know is that what we need to do I think it just opens the door for possible like again personalization and targeted treatments in the future and you're right if you have IBS like that that adaptation process is probably going to be more challenging and I like to call that more of the intuition side of managing and that's why I personally don't use a lot of like the, the words like healing uh, and, and you know curing um, conditions like this that, again, we don't fully understand and we know are chronic in nature um, because there is likely this intuition that we have to build instead of how to take care of our bodies in different states and environments, how to know how to filter what's coming in and impacting us and then adapt to that and adjust for that. Some people don't need that. Some people can just like bounce back, be resilient and never really be thrown off. But then some people, especially our IDS people, they do still get thrown off. And I think it allows for almost more resiliency to think of it less as like, oh, I healed that, I overcame that. And more of like, uh, in disordered eating, it's the same thing, right? It never really goes away, but it's something that we focus on and we manage. And ideally we get to a place of intuition with that it's not chronically on our mind or something that we always have to work on, but instead becomes something that we are in harmony with and we're, we're you know, I don't know, listening to in a, in a way to figure out okay, how do I need to adjust and adapt for myself? Or what do I need in this moment versus like what I should need or, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah, absolutely. I just think to your body. For sure. It's so cool that you also have the opportunity to grow different microbes in your gut and to, you know, change the way that it does function because like i love how you say that you don't use the the phrases like cure or heal because it might be with you forever but it doesn't mean that you can't not shift and get to yeah. a, a better place either which is so cool exactly yes so, and maybe one day we can right yeah. right maybe one day there is a you know a pill we take that completely changes our microbiome forever i don't know if that will exist but maybe you know that maybe. would be exciting that would be so know. cool <laughs> To be determined. So uh, what I know, like you definitely talk a lot about everything needs to be individualized because everybody's obviously so different, their life experiences, their current life, their bodies, all of that, which I totally resonate with. Do you have any, I guess, like general tips or anything of how people can actually start to improve their gut health through things like diet or lifestyle that would be quite beneficial? Yeah. So 
in terms of research, we have a little bit in terms of diet, which is exciting. So one, we know fiber feeds microbes, beneficial microbes, especially feed on fiber. And we know that fiber diversity is a direct uh, kind of player of microbiome diversity, which is one of our major goals. We want beneficial microbes and we want diverse beneficial microbes. So we have more players on the field doing different jobs. Um, and so whenever we're thinking about the, the number one way to improve your gut diversity and your gut microbiome, it's to eat fiber rich foods and eat a diverse amount of them. So fiber is in plant foods. Um, so when we're looking at like specific recommendations of like grams of fiber, how much fiber to eat, that is personalized a lot more to symptoms, but for a microbiome effect, we actually want diversity and 30 plant foods per week has actually been shown to be a great predictor. So it's a, a good marker to use. Now those 30 plant foods could be nuts and seeds, could be grains, could be legumes, fruits and vegetables, herbs, um, spices. You don't have to have it as these giant fiber sources. It can also be small sources that you incorporate alongside your major fiber sources like legumes and grains, chia seeds, things like that, that pack more grams of fiber. So that's where I typically will start is first add fiber and you want to go slow because if your gut's not used to it, you will not break it down well and you will have symptoms and that's expected. So we slowly build up grams of fiber. And as we get to around the ideal range is likely somewhere between 25 to 40 grams of fiber. Again, personalized to each person, but somewhere in that range is ideal. And if we can get to that point in grams, then we really want to focus on diversity and find little ways to add more diversity with our plant foods um, over a week and over time, as much as you can, even if it's not perfectly at 30 foods, and that will help. Some other things that we know can help are removing some disruptors. Um, you know, there's a lot of misinformation about what those disruptors are. The ones we know are a lot of medications like antibiotics is a big one. Um, and any supplements that are used for killing or antimicrobial, like we don't want too many of those. Um, alcohol does have an impact um, and some drugs may as well. So that's usually where I would start is reducing those things versus we don't have a ton of data on food, like a little bit, but it's so small that there's so much more on fiber diversity that we can focus on the most. And then general practices that are shown to possibly improve gut microbiome um, diversity are things like nervous system regulation. So sleeping, um, you know, engaging in relaxation strategies in some way, fun, joy time, um, you know, getting outside, you know, that might help again, getting in your environment, movement, things like that um, may help. Fiber diversity is the strongest bit of evidence, but there is some thought that that also could be um, a major predictor, if not for anything else, overall health. So it's a win-win. <laughs> mm, okay, cool. And so food sources to focus on fiber specifically and diversity in that fiber once you've increased it to a point. And I think that's such a, a great point because as humans, we're creatures of habit, right? Like we always go to the supermarket and pick out the exact same vegetables that we know we love because now we get to buy them all year round. Whereas it's so easy to just, if you shop in season, like you're naturally going to have that diversity in your diet, buying the vegetables that are on special or sale for that week anyway. Um, and then when it comes to just like diet in general and lifestyle, making sure that you are removing those stresses. And when it comes to taking away the disruptors, so like you mentioned, the alcohol, medication, drugs, things like that, is there much research at the moment around things like caffeine or the like no sugar soft drinks? So like Diet Coke, Pepsi Max, all of those type of things. Cause this is something that I see in social media a lot around these specific types of foods and gut health. Yeah, I haven't seen any research on caffeine mm. and like the gut microbiome specifically. Caffeine can speed up the gut. High levels of caffeine could um, elicit that stress state. So again, I think that's more tuning in with your body. There's no reason to fear caffeine, honestly. Um, the, there's no research to support that. There is research that some caffeinated beverages like coffee and even like green tea, like those have beneficial properties for the gut microbiome, as plant polyphenol rich foods. Mm -hmm. um, and so those can be really beneficial. If they trigger symptoms for you, that doesn't necessarily mean they're bad for your gut health. It means because your gut's in the state it's in due to maybe IBS or GERD, you know, reflux, whatever's going on in your body, it's reacting to that. So that's more of a modification based on symptoms that I would take. 
And yeah, if all you're drinking is caffeine and you're just like hyper caffeinated and you're have high blood pressure and you're really anxious, clearly something's not right. But I don't know if that truly impacts your gut microbiome. Sugar and non-caloric um, sweeteners are highly debated and controversial mm. in this space. There's not a lot of great research. Uh, so in terms of sugar, there is some thought that sugars may feed and, and the, the headlines are always, you know, sugar feeds pathogenic microbes. Most of your sugars are actually going to be absorbed in your small intestine pretty high up, more in like your duodenum, yeah. which is like the first part of your small intestine. There are microbes present. And yet in the cases of like SIBO, where you have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, we may see hyperfermentation of sugars because there are microbes getting to those before they're getting absorbed in your body. But sugars are the, the lowest form or the most simple form of carbohydrate. Your body absorbs it and uses it. So we may see some like other effects of a high sugar diet that then maybe impacts your, your body, but it likely doesn't actually impact your, especially your chronic microbiome because it's not even making its way to the colon. But again, if we're looking at overall health is a high sugar diet alone, like beneficial, probably not. Should we fear it and eliminate it in all people? Probably not. I think we need to find that balance and check in with each person. Now, non-caloric sweeteners, um, this, there are very small studies for different types of sweeteners. So there's a, a newer study on like stevia. There are some studies on things like um, aspartame that do show how they might impact. Um, there's the recent study on stevia did look at how um, stevia impacts the small bowel microbiome. And there was an association seen of a more kind of pathogenic profile. It was one small study that wasn't really well controlled. And I, I don't want to say for sure, like, no, those things don't impact because mm. science could tell us differently. I just don't think we know. And I think the claims that are out there that are very extreme about it don't actually know. Same is true of like seed oils and, you know, a lot of those big things. I think there's some borderline that's probably there. Um, so the approach I typically take is if you're doing too much of something that is possibly borderline or controversial, can we make modifications to where we're finding balance in it? Right. And then can we actually look at your health history, where you're coming from and your symptoms in that case to see where we may make a change? So if you are drinking, let's say diet sodas and let's say we already ruled out caffeine as a potential problem and it doesn't seem to be but diet sodas are the one consistent thing and we're still not seeing an improvement of those symptoms that we're working on maybe it is impacting you and that's something we could shift if we know that you have really high levels of um, increased permeability which is that leakiness um, it is real um, it, it can happen and that's really true in like post-infectious cases so viral mm -hmm. bacterial infections um, maybe it's been like overly treated. We may see high levels of permeability. That's a com compromised gut. You may react to a lot of things that you normally wouldn't be because you have that compromised gut. So we may need to reduce some of those things in the short term while we improve your gut microbiome and improve um, that permeability, which takes time. If you have small intestinal microbiome or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, SIBO, we may reduce your sugar intake for a short amount of time because you may be experiencing hyperfermentation and symptoms from that. And if we're trying to get rid of those microbes, maybe we do that. It is so personalized to each person. And again, the research isn't there. It could come in the future, but not. it's not present to the degree that it's being communicated. I love that you clear that up because 100% like it is being thrown out there a lot. And I think a lot of people, you know, are almost demonized for drinking the diet soft drink or having the caffeine or whatever it is, when in reality, like the science isn't there. And like you said, it's so individualized. Like if your individual symptoms aren't here, like clearing up because, and that's that one thing that you haven't changed yet, great you adjust that, you change it, you see if it has an impact. Otherwise you might be completely fine and it might not be having an impact at all. And the, it just highlights the importance of every single health journey that you go on, making sure that it actually is individualized and personalized to you and that there is no one size fits all cookie cutter approach to your health. And that just following generic plans or anything like that could do more harm than any good. 
Absolutely. And it's important to look at the research. I know like we don't always have all research available to us, but Mm. we want to look at what the depth of research supports as the first thing to focus on in your priority. So what I see often is, you know, people are taking in information online where they're avoiding so many things, but they're not eating fiber or fiber diversity because they've been told to avoid all these other plants for all these other reasons. And it's like, well, research, the most research supports that it doesn't support you know the elimination as much as it supports this so if we can't start with what research supports the most you may be maybe seeing a five percent benefit of you know eliminating this one thing when you could be seeing a 50 percent benefit from adding those things right and that's again where i think understanding levels of research come into play understanding your body and the full picture not just the little one thing that you're you think you need to focus on because so much impacts you or the stress piece or the infection piece or supplements you're taking medication you know it's important to think about all of those things um for your own body and then you know with navigating that information online there's a lot of great creators out there that debunk a lot of that stuff by you know uh, uncovering the research but usually if something does sound extreme like one ask if there's a study if there's not you know there's your red flag but if you look at the studies that are typically cited they're usually animal studies which is a start but it's not a conclusion or what they're quoting, it it was like a study of 20 people, you know, and that's not a well-designed study. So again, it's a start. And I think it's something to discuss and something to consider and be mindful about, but it's not a conclusion. And it may not be worth, again, that full, like, oh, you could never have this again, or your gut health is going to be destroyed forever. It's like, that's rarely the case. And truthfully, I mean, even in microbiome research of regions, like, we don't see gut microbiomes shift that much. Like it's not as intense, I think, as people think it can be. And that's that next area of research of, you know, do we treat populations differently because we are seeing these big shifts that aren't necessarily either improving or getting worse in in different cases. So there's a lot more to it than that. Um, But we also don't want to ignore it. So I think there's a way to, to develop both, but that's where finding, people that you trust and also just being really honest in your own life of like what am I actually prioritizing because if all I'm prioritizing is what I'm not doing but like I'm not even paying attention to what I truly am eating or the behaviors I am actually engaging in and if I'm not consistent with anything you're not seeing any benefit or or even heart right if you're not even consistent like that's a problem in and of itself if you can't stay consistent like that's not sustainable. You're just going to be up and down. And so you're probably in the end, like netting zero for all that work you just did versus again, even a 50% benefit because you can stay consistent. And then you have like, you know, your alcoholic drink every night or something, you know, it's like, there's some, there's some differences there that I think we can look at if you just really get honest with yourself about what things actually look like in your life, not just your rules that are kind of arbitrary or barely even followed. Right. Yeah. And I think we are trying to overcomplicate it. Like we think that there's going to be this magic pill, magic supplement, magic, whatever that is going to just come in and fix everything for us. And it's not necessarily the case. A lot of the times we actually just have to strip it back to basics, like the fiber, just, you know, eating the 30 different plant-based foods a week is going to have such a positive impact for so many people. And it's not complicated. No, it rarely needs to be overly Mm. complicated. (laughs) Um, The complications do sell, right? Um, And that's where that comes from, right? A supplement or, um, you know, a a view or click or a headline. And uh, we all fall into that because it is what we want in the world of social media. But yeah, that's what sells, but that's rarely what is actually supported or true or even holds over time. Uh, which is why we see fads, we see trends, we see things like keep changing. Not always is that because research is evolving. It's usually because whatever it was before, that hot thing didn't last and it wasn't sustainable um, versus like, you know, research around plant forward diets and diversity and stress management and, you know, joy and social time, the kind of that Mediterranean lifestyle that they, they showcase in research. That's proven time and time and time and time and time and time again, even before we understood fully what it might've been doing in the body, it was, it was, you know, supported. And so we don't need to complicate it. We always don't need something new. We just need to 
stick to what we know, like truly does work and, and stick to it fully and, and truly. Um, and I think that's true of the gut. It could evolve, but really what we're seeing is that the things we kind of always knew now are just being proven <laughs> versus yes. like, oh, brand new, you know, revelations like um, in the treatment world, maybe. But yeah, we're not really seeing like huge revelations. We're just seeing kind of, oh, yeah, what we knew is, is now being more proven, which is exciting. Yeah, no, it's so exciting. And I'd love to know what is one of the most common myths that you personally do hear about gut health? Oh, that's a hard question. <laughs> um, I would say, I mean, I guess the biggest one that is a little bit obvious is that it's one size fits all of yeah. like, you have to do it one way. And I think that's from the rise of social media and influencers. Of, and I know I have my own personal history with IBS dealing with IBS, managing that, improving my gut health, what it looked like for me is not what it would look like for you or someone else. And I think there's a lot of that where these rules are put in place. It has to look one way and that's not actually true. Um, so that's probably number one. I, I would guess following that would be, you know, eliminating carbohydrates. Like it's, it's mm. that reverse of what's actually proven in research where there is, I think, a rise of that. And we see it a little bit less. I think keto kind of has ran its, its term, right? It's, it's kind of yeah. over in some ways, but not really like it's shifted where a lot of like carbohydrate eliminations are being touted for gut health. But what that often leads to is actually low fiber, low fiber diversity. Um, and so when it's not approached properly, I think that actually leads to more harm. Um, and I see that a lot more in my practice where people think that they're doing the right things, but then you really mm -hmm. dig into it. It's like, well, the one thing we know actually does help you're not doing because of this other rule or thing that came up that was never supported in research. Um, yeah. Mm, I love both of those. And I think the carbohydrate one is definitely a big one because you're right. Even though keto is running its course, I think it's definitely left a mark and left an impact and a fear in so many people when this research and the fundamentals of carbohydrates have been proven to just have such a positive impact on the mm -hmm. human body. And like I said, it comes back to that individualized approach as well, which is huge. Oh, now, absolutely. I do have some quick fire questions for you. Are you ready okay. for these? Mm-hmm. What is one thing that you must do every morning to set your day up? Drink coffee. <laughs> I love coffee. My coffee time is like I sit by my window with my dogs. I enjoy it slowly. I mean, it gets my bowels moving. I love it. Um, yeah, as the ritual of drinking coffee, I'll do it. If I travel, no matter where I am, I will have my cup of coffee. So, yes. I love it. Simple, but like still lights the day up, which is so good. What is one thing that everyone can do every day to improve their life? Oh, oh there's so many things that you can do. I guess we can stay on theme of like, add an extra plant source to your meals. Like, you know, add a, an extra herb or an extra spice in there and play around with like one extra thing that you can add. Um, it's kind of, I call it like elevating the fiber diversity in a meal. It might be some frozen, you know, vegetables you throw in, some canned beans you throw in. Maybe it is just a spice mix, even dried, like anything that you can add on onto that is going to have an impact in some way and maybe even improve like taste buds and how you feel. It makes you feel confident. So yeah, add, an, add a plant food every meal. Mm, and I think that mindset around addition rather than subtraction when it comes to your food is really, really beneficial. What is your favorite quote and why? Oh, my favorite quote. I don't know if I actually have one. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not a huge quote person. I'm not a big even like reader of, of other books beyond like a science book. <laughs> I would say one that I have, and I don't know where this came from. It probably came from somewhere, um, but it's in our gym, you know, it's in our, our space and it's don't stop until you're proud, very cliche, mm -hmm. very cheesy, but I think about it often because I think, you know, what I come back to often is, you know, I don't want to give up on something, whether that be a goal that I have, something I'm working on, you know, my business, a client I'm working with, whatever it may be. Um, I don't want to give up on something before I feel like. I did the very best I could in that thing. And I don't think that that has to look like, you know, quote unquote success, but I do think it needs to look like, 
either I grew from that opportunity, I took advantage of it, I resolved a conflict that needed to be resolved. Um, it's something that I try to stick to because I do tend to want to like just shut down, you know, run away, you know, isolate. It's like I want to avoid when I could lean into um, something mm -hmm. to make sure I'm getting the most out of it, which I think leads to getting the most out of like life and all opportunities. So that's what I translate that to. I have no idea where it came from, but we have it on our whiteboard and our, our gym for some reason. And I really like it. Yeah, I love it. No, that's so powerful. Now, one question that I love to ask all my podcast guests is in the distant future, when you are looking back on your life, what do you think will be your biggest achievement or something that you'll be most proud of? And now this could actually be something that you have already done, or it could also be something that you're hoping to do in the future. Yeah, I think I will be most remembered for helping women specifically, but people like feel heard um and and understood so you know in, in my work it looks like giving you know the information to back experiences and helping validate those experiences mm -hmm. um you know opening up the door for really hard conversations um but that is what i hope to always be remembered by i think it's what i'm leaving in my work right now and something that i think continues to light me up and make me excited about work. So I think that's something I'll always want to look forward to in any endeavor that I take on. Um, so yeah, I hope that that's what truly like that I leave. Absolutely. And I feel like with the work that you do and even the presence that you have on social media, you are really removing the stigma or the taboo around talking about digestive issues or poop or whatever it is, right? Like you are creating this such a safe space for people to come to and just open up and be real raw vulnerable about the struggles that they are going through because unfortunately we do live in a society at the moment where these type of topics are a little bit taboo and it's not really like you sit down at the dinner table and chat about the digestive issues that you are going through so i think the the power that you have and what you're doing in that space is just incredible thank you i appreciate that yeah did you want to tell the audience what you have coming up if anything exciting for them and where can the listeners go to find you yeah, so you can always find me um, on social media, Instagram, TikTok, at erinjudge.rd. Um, our business name is Gutivate, so YouTube, Gutivate, gutivate.com is our website. Um, we also have a social platform for that. Um, we are really excited. We're relaunching, kind of reopening the doors, and it will stay open um, from that point on to our membership for people with IBS. So it is kind of our holistic management framework for IBS, a community um, supported by myself, dietitians on my team, that true safe space for IBS. Um, and so if anyone is looking for that at more of an accessible kind of lower cost, that is what it is meant to be. Um, that information is on our website or through social media. So very excited to get that back and open um, as a, a, a resource uh, virtually. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. No, that's super exciting. And I'll put all of the direct links to all of that into the show notes. So the listeners have easy access to go and find all of it. But thank you so much, Erin, for coming on and sharing everything that you have with us today. I think it's been such a powerful conversation. And I know so many listeners are going to be walking away from today just having a lot of aha moments or wanting to find out more and dig deeper into their own individual gut health and gut health issues. So thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you having me powerful conversation with Erin today that was just such an incredible episode I would love it and it would mean so much to me if you could share this episode with somebody who you know is currently struggling with digestive issues or is really interested in this topic of conversation all things gut health I also love connecting with every single one of you as always so just head over to my Instagram which is KJ Wellness with three s's send me through a dm connect with me I absolutely love it I love chatting with you all Otherwise, I will chat with you in the next episode very soon. Until then, you take care. Bye.